Hey, for, for helping me out, I just got one thing to say. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh. Should have grown out some sideburns for this week, huh? Hey, uh, this week uh, we talked about return to sender because of all the seven letters we've looked at, this one being the seventh, uh, clearly this church really didn't want to hear from Jesus, okay? It was almost like they just sent the letter back to him, which brings us to the barf bags, which hopefully nobody returns to sender on that. Um, when you walked in this morning, you should have received a barf bag, which is not standard fare at East Point. It is standard fare when you're flying on an airplane, uh, but hopefully we don't give you that kind of turbulence here. It is Pun Sunday, isn't it? But I want to ask you the question today, as we reach this seventh and final letter, and as we prepare for next week where we'll ask that question, what is Jesus saying to East Point? I want to ask you this question. What makes God want to vomit? Okay? What makes God want to vomit? Now, you might be thinking, Dustin, this is a little bit too junior high for me. I'm telling you, this isn't my idea. This, this was Jesus' idea. It's right here in the text. In fact, when we look through the Bible, we find 16 different instances of the, where the Bible speaks of vomiting. Just for your personal trivia, we should all have that fact memorized, of course. In the Old Testament, it talks about when the uh, Israelites are getting ready to go into the promised land. It says, don't act like the, uh, the other countries who have inhabited that land are, or you will be vomited out of the land. In Proverbs 26, 11, it says, that as a dog returns to his vomit, so also a fool returns to his foolishness. And of course, the book of Jonah talks about how awful Jonah must have stunk after being in the belly for three days and the big fish and being vomited on the shore. But of all those instances, there's only one place specifically where it says that God himself wants to vomit. I think that's worthy of our attention. And so today's letter from Jesus is indeed, in fact, delivered to me in the vomit bag. So... As we take a look at this, a warning, because of all the churches that we've heard from and all the application to America, most scholars and pastors would agree that the letter we're about to read today, the letter that ultimately talks about God wanting to vomit, uh, is most applicable to the United States of America and the churches that are here. That's a warning to us. Ephesus, remember, they forgot their first love. And like that spoke so true to many of us. And Sardis was the sleeping church. They'd grown so comfortable and all these things. But yet, here's the idea here, that in the American church, the letter to the church at Laodicea is the one that speaks directly to us. So here's a little background about the church at Laodicea. First of all, they were intentionally built at the convergence of several major trade routes. As a result, they became a banking capital. They were known for their pure, refined gold. They were extremely wealthy. And we, as Americans, are extremely wealthy as well, compared to the rest of the world, aren't we? For example, the average American household net worth is $176,100. Second in the world is Switzerland at $128,000 per household. We're the only two that break $100,000. The graph up here is of the top 20 in the world. I believe it's top 20. And most 
places, most countries in the world, the net worth of a family would be more closer to $10,000 or so. And we're at 176000 In fact, the poorest 20% of Americans consume more goods and services than the national averages for all people in most affluent countries. And in 1901, the U.S. households spent 43% of their income on food. You know what that is today? 13%. 13%. We have 30% more dispendable income to do with what we want. Meanwhile, half of the world lives on $5.50 a day or less. About 10% of the world lives on $2 a day or less. Can you imagine how your faith would be different if that was your income? How would it change your prayer life? It's easy for us to see or to think that we don't need to depend upon God for our daily bread when we've got a deep freeze full of food, isn't it? Not only was Laodicea wealthy, but they had the closest thing in the ancient world to a hospital as a training center for medical professionals. In fact, they were known there for their eye salve that they had, that they would say that could go as far as healing blindness. While I'd question the accuracy of that statement, there's no question that they were extremely proud of that and the fact that they had come up with a surgical way to remove cataracts from people's eyes 2,000 years ago. Can you believe it? Those eye doctors are something, aren't they? And so, in our world as well, we can complain about the health care that we have in our country, but the reality is, is that in the year 1900, the average life expectancy of American was 46.3 years. That means I've got four years left on average, Okay. Whereas today, it has jumped to 78 years old. I know that my wife works at a clinic where they literally, you can go in in the morning, get, your, get a new knee, get a complete knee replacement, go to therapy in the afternoon, and go home in time to watch the evening news. That's crazy. It's a blessing in many ways, but can you see how in our culture maybe we don't depend upon God for our health as much as maybe we might in other days or in another culture. Well, the third thing that Laodicea had for them, they were very innovative, and that innovation actually showed through in their fashion. Their farmers had come up with a way to breed sheep in such a way that their sheep had this beautiful black wool. And as a result, they were known for their, their fashion, their black wool clothing. And so, in the same way, we really cherish our ingenuity, don't we, in America? I mean, we're one of the most advanced cultures, if not the most advanced culture in the world. So much innovation happens here. And yet, at the same time, can you see how that is a way that we learn to depend upon God less? Because we have so much. And so that leads us back to this question this pressing question for us, what is so bad about this church that it makes Jesus want to vomit? Because at the end of the day, we've seen churches and the letters here that were sexually immoral. Jesus didn't say that he wanted to vomit them. We've seen churches that have had terrible theology and very manipulative people. 
But that's not the warning that Jesus gave to them. What could be so bad that it makes Jesus want to vomit? Besides maybe playing Christmas music on November 1st, which I did hear on the way to church this morning, and that made me want to vomit just a little bit. At least hold it off the Thanksgiving people. So here's what the letter to Jesus, from Jesus to the church at Laodicea says. Write to the angel or the messenger at the church of Laodicea. Thus says the amen and the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Again, Jesus starts off all these letters in the same way. He starts them off by reminding them of who he is. And by doing so, he exposes something about them. When Jesus is saying that he is the faithful and true witness, we read in the rest of the letter that the church at Laodicea was not being a faithful or true witness. Jesus says in verse 15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and are neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Well, there it is. It doesn't exactly explain it yet. But we see Jesus using this very graphic image that we don't really want to picture. And yet we need to if we're going to comprehend the depth of the message here to Laodicea. Now, I suppose that all of us, when we were growing up, especially in youth group, it's common to hear this message there, that you need to be either hot or cold for Jesus. Either be on fire for him or be totally turned away from him, but don't be somewhere in the middle. You ever hear that message? Yeah, yeah it preaches really well. The only problem is that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Of all the things that Laodicea did have, the one thing they did not have was a good water source. However, if you go about six miles one direction from their city, there was a hot spring. And that hot spring, based because of the minerals, had very mineral-rich water that had all the healing properties that you might expect out of hot water. That's why we have hot tubs today. It's for the healing therapy or something like that. On the other side, about six miles the other way, was a city that had a cold water spring. And that cold water spring was known for refreshment. That is something very good to drink. Had you ever come in from mowing the yard on a hot summer day and say, man, I could really use a nice lukewarm glass of water? No, you want it to be cold. And so Jesus isn't saying hot is good and cold is bad. What he's saying is hot has healing properties, cold has refreshing properties. What you have has neither of the two. And so when we look at this, it's a lot like Jesus when he tells the church, uh, when he tells the, the, uh, the early believers or his early followers back in Matthew, you are the salt of the earth. And then a few sentences later, he says, you are the light of the world. Salt and light. Salt has that preservation quality to it. Light has that ability to help people to see. In the same way he's saying hot or cold here, it's not that hot's good, cold is bad, but both have healing properties and this church is stuck in the middle just like their water supply they had because by the time the hot water got to Laodicea via the aqueduct or by the time the cold water got to Laodicea via another aqueduct, it was lukewarm and it was disgusting. And the first time you ever took a drink of water in Laodicea, it'd make you want to spit it out of your mouth. And Jesus is saying that's what this church has become in Laodicea. 
And unfortunately, when we look at the church in America, we, help, we can't help but ask the same question. Why is it that it's gotten lukewarm? Well, we're going to see here. It says verse 16, So because of you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And then verse 17, this is the turning point. This is the part we need to hear. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. To the church that thought they had everything, they were probably sitting there through those first six letters thinking, oh, what do you think Jesus is going to say to us? By the time they're ready to read it to him, they probably thought, he's probably going to go pretty easy on us. Look at us. We got, it all, we got it all together. We don't even really need him. And that's the point, isn't it? He goes on to say in verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. Remember what they had? They had that banking system. They were known for their purely refined gold. And Jesus saying, your gold's nothing compared to mine. Gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. White clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. They weren't known for their white clothes. They were known for their black clothes. They weren't known for nakedness. If we're reading the book of Isaiah, we can see a time where the prophet Isaiah wanted to wake up the, the people of Israel, and so he walked around for three years completely naked. We don't normally tell that when we read the Christmas passages of Isaiah. I wonder what kind of sunscreen he used back in that day. I promise you I will never do the same for you. Amen. But here they are as people who were finely clothed and Jesus is saying, you might as well be naked. You need to get your clothes from me. And at the end of the verse, and it says, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. Of all the innovations you've come up with, all they've done is helped you to think you don't need me anymore. So what made Jesus vomit? What made him want to vomit? Was that they had forgotten how dependent on God they are for everything. And I have to ask you the same question. Have you forgotten how dependent you are on God for everything? Do you need that wake-up call today? When you wake up every morning, do you still plead with God to give him your day, to give you your daily bread, even though you know you've got a refrigerator full of food? Do you still pray, asking him to helpfully, safely get you to work, even though you know your car is one of the most reliable out there? We do build Hondas here in Ohio. When you breathe in every morning, do you praise God for another lungful of oxygen to breathe? When you look at your family, do you praise God every day for helping to hold you and your family together because you couldn't do it without him? The reality is, is what's happened in our culture is that our blessings have become curses. 
the things that we so make us so great in many ways are also our weakness. Just look at our culture and what kind of shambles it's in. We have everything we need, but we've forgotten God. You agree? And it always frustrates me around this time of year. This is my first time being in a swing state where my vote actually matters. <laughs> I've always been in Illinois or Nebraska where things were already pretty much predetermined. But I've always heard my whole life that more than anything else, Christians just need to take a stand. But when I read these letters in the book of Revelation... I think that more than anything else, Christians need to repent in our culture. That's not easy for me to hear. I'm a proud man. And I love our country. But at the end of the day, what we've got to recognize is that we have forgotten God. And as a church, it starts with us. We can't expect the rest of the world to wake up and see the truth of Christianity if we aren't dependent upon God every day for our every need. You've gotten kind of quiet on me. I can't tell if you're ready to stone me or if you're agreeing with me. Let me just ask you these questions because we've been sharing the last few weeks about our church and our, uh, the financial situation that we're in, which is tough. Um, and a few other things that we're, we're dealing with as we move forward in a new vision. And, and one of the things that's really struck us is that, um, you know, only God can provide for us financially. Like at the end of the day, like we still have to put offering in the plate and everything else. But, you know, we believe that that's so true. And, and do, you, do you believe that, that only God can provide for you financially? I mean, you should still work hard. And you shouldn't call into work tomorrow and be like, hey, only God's providing for my finances, so I'm not showing up today. But think about it. How many times do we depend upon our degrees, on our experience, on our health, and think, I've got this? How many times do we just praise God every morning that we've got a job? Or plead out to God because we need to get one? And there's that tension in the Christian faith, isn't there? You know, we always talked about, you know, trust Jesus, but lock your doors. <laughs> and I think it's the same thing when it comes to, like, our work ethic and our education. Yeah, we're supposed to work hard, but at the end of the day, do you still depend on God and God alone? Secondly, do you believe that only God can provide for your health? I've been in, I've had two surgeries besides cutting out my wisdom teeth. Uh, one of them uh, was when I was 26, and I couldn't stand up for any longer than 10 minutes because I had a, a part of my um, L4, S, L5, I believe, that had come completely, disc, completely separated, severed from it, up against my sciatica. It was horrible. Uh, and they went in there and fished it out, and like later that afternoon, I woke up, and I had no more pain. Do I still? I mean, like I think about that. Like 100 years ago, I would probably be like, completely immobilized by now because of that. I mean, I would be a disaster. And yet here I am. I haven't had any pain for like 15 minutes, you know, for 15 years, 15 minutes, 15 years. Some of you kind of identified that 15 minutes. 
Do I thank God for that? Do I remember that? Do I praise God every day that I can still walk? Now, this final one, and this is probably the toughest one. Do you believe that only God can bring you true contentment? Where are you depending upon our culture for your contentment? The reality is, is that, that this church, they'd been lulled into complacency. They had everything they thought they needed, but yet they just kept longing for more and more of their culture, and it wasn't working. How many times do we just lull ourselves into that complacency and try to find our contentment in the things that we see on screens? The friends that we have that are out there in cyberspace somewhere and not our neighbors right next to us? I mean, it's, it's tough. Do you believe that only God can bring you true contentment? That there's no other person that's going to make you happy and content outside of God. That outside of centering your life in Him, like, this life is worthless outside of that. Do you really believe that? So Jesus concludes this letter by saying, As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline this reminds you today, I know this has been a tough sermon for us. It's a tough sermon for me to write. But Jesus doesn't write these things to us because he hates us. He writes these things to us because he loves us. And he wants us to become more like him. He loves our culture. He loves our world. He loves our country. And he wants to see everyone follow him. And we as the church are that one hope. We are the ones who are to be messengers. We are to be the ones leading the way. So his instructions for us are be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> uh, this one is one we probably often hear with an invitation for people who want to become Christians. May I remind you that this letter is written to people who already are Christians. Who haven't let Jesus in. Or who have kicked him out. And Jesus is knocking at the doors of churches and homes and individual lives of people who already trust in him on the surface. And he says this, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and it will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is about true fellowship. This isn't about just trusting on God for our needs. But this is a depth of a walk with God that God wants from us, that he desires from us. Just as our spouses don't want people who just bring home a paycheck every week, they want someone who do life with them, to walk with them. So God longs for that true fellowship with us. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll understand that our longings are for that true fellowship with him. He says, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He gives us one final reminder. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. At the end of the day, the one thing I want you to remember is this. Don't wait until death to discover how dependent on God you've really been your whole life. Don't wait till your dying moments to realize that he's the one who really holds it all together. It's not your wealth. It's not your health. It's not whatever you entertain yourself with. 
It's your creator. And he's also your redeemer. And the one who forgives you and gives you life. So here's two things I want to encourage you to do today. First, I want you to take this vomit bag home with you. I just want you to ask yourself the question. Put this somewhere where you need to remember it. Just say, what is it about my life that, that makes Jesus want to vomit? And maybe it's the way that you just waste your time. Maybe you need to put that up next to your TV. Maybe you need to hide your remote control in it. Maybe you need to put your phone in it, put your phone charger in there. Just as a reminder, like how many times am I just addicted to that? Maybe it's at your desk at work. It'd be a great conversation starter with your coworkers. Hey, why do you got that vomit bag there? You just need to put that up there as a daily reminder. I don't want to be a kind of person that makes Jesus want to vomit. I want to be someone who has true fellowship with him and who as a result brings both healing and refreshing properties to the world. Secondly, and we're going to have a time of reflection here as we do this. When you came in, you probably received a pen and a little sheet of paper in your vomit bag. This is just one. It just says, what, what's Jesus been speaking to you at East Point? And we want to hear from you. As we are praying and we've been praying about what is Jesus saying to East Point, uh, we think that God's been speaking to you all. And we'd love to just hear that. And so we're going to spend a couple of minutes in reflection on that. And, and then we'll have you drop that, that sheet of paper there uh, in the offering buckets on your way out. It's just a, just a gift to God about what he's been speaking to you. Uh, maybe you need to write down a reminder on your bag as well. You can do that as well. Let's just take this moment um, and, and, and just spend some time asking Jesus, what is it that you really are speaking to us?